Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Unruffled ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. There's nothing like being totally engrossed in a good mystery or thriller. Audible has thousands of immersive audiobook titles to spark your imagination and get your heart thumping. Since it's summer, you might want to check out The Vacation Rental. Very well told and very unsettling. You won't want to turn it off. And since this is a parenting podcast, I should also mention that audiobooks are a wonderfully enriching experience for children because they aren't passive entertainment like other kids' media. They engage your child's imagination and can nurture both listening and language skills. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible for free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash unruffled or text unruffled to 500-500 today. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected. After investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today, I'm joined by Anya Dunham. Anya is a parent of three, a PhD in biology who works as a scientist studying ecology, and she has done extensive research into the concepts recommended by Magda Gerber and me, Respectful Parenting. We'll be describing these concepts in detail and speaking to some of the evidence-based theories on what babies need most from their environment and from us to thrive. Anya shares her findings in her book, Baby Ecology, Using Science and Intuition to Create the Best Feeding, Sleep, and Play Environment for Your Unique Baby. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Anya's research and experience. Hi, Anya. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Janet. I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you. So you've been doing extensive research on different aspects of parenting, particularly, or at least quite considerably, the type of parenting that I teach, which is Magda Gerber's Rye approach, or I call it respectful parenting. And I thought it would be great to hear a little about what made you want to do all this research and write a book about it. And of course, then I would love to hear more about your findings and how they've helped you and can help others with the parenting decisions that we're all making, which is way too many. In the beginning, it feels like a constant flow of decisions, right? So can you tell us a little about how you got into this and what you found? Yes, of course. So I found your work uh, when I was pregnant with my first baby, so just over 12 years ago. And then through your work, I um, discovered and learned about the work of Magda Gerber and Amy Pickler. And the thing is that even though I always turn to research, I think of myself as a science-minded person, I actually embraced what I feel is at the very core of Rye, 
without needing to see any science behind it. I felt that respect for children and delight in who they are, believing in that and accepting that as one of my core parenting beliefs came very naturally to me. It was almost the same as believing that our children need our love and they need safety. And I felt that in the same way, they also need to be respected and to be delighted in. And so that was uh, how everything started for me. But what I thought that science can help us see and understand is the mechanisms and sort of the, the why between some of the challenging parenting questions. And sometimes it can give us a little window, a little glimpse into the baby's minds, which is one of my favorite things. Because of that, I, I wanted to find out all about it, um, everything I could. And so what I did is um, I started an almost 10-year-long journey into reading the science about baby's first year. And I looked at the research through the lens of my research field, ecology, because I wanted to find out what do our babies need most from their physical and emotional environment. So from um, their surroundings and, and the experiences they have and from people in their lives. And in the process, as I read over many hundreds of papers, I came across many findings that support uh, the core principles of Rye and respectful parenting. And so I thought that maybe I could share a few of the highlights today. Yes, I'd love to hear about that. One of the first things that came to mind when I was thinking about it is just this large body of research that so many studies have found just how sensitive, but also how capable and ready to learn and connect our babies are when they come into this world. And I think most people know that in the first trimester of pregnancy, babies are able to hear our voices and especially the mom's voice if she's the one who carries the pregnancy. But I think what I find quite interesting and what not everybody knows about is how if a mom reads a familiar story to the baby, even in that first trimester, the baby can already recognize that story. And then after the baby's born, within hours of birth, if they can see their mom's face and hear her voice, they learn to recognize their mom right away. So what it shows is that babies not only hear and see enough to connect with us and interact with us, but also that they can pay attention, they can learn and memorize things, and they connect the voice that they've been hearing with the face that they're now able to see. And I think that just really sort of underscores and supports the principle of basic trust that we can fully trust our babies to be initiators, explorers, and self-learners. Yes, for some people that don't know that, that's the first of Magda's Rye principles. Yeah, and so just how ready they come into this world to, um, to learn that we absolutely can trust in the process. And then, you know, another principle that of course comes to mind is that babies can be active participants in care routines. For example, a study recently looked at how two-month-old babies respond to uh, being picked up. And what was really interesting is that when adults approached babies in a way that was slow 
invisible and when the adult's intentions to pick the baby up were clear, the baby would respond and help with the smoothness of pickup. They would look at the adult's face and they would sort of tense their body a little bit to help the adult. So it shows that they really can from this very young age and probably earlier, as Magda Gerber said, from the very start, they can join us in meaningful ways. Absolutely. And those of us that have tried this and practiced it get to see that with our own eyes. And what Magda added there was to actually verbalize it as well. I'm going to pick you up now. So that becomes connected to not only our body language and the child, you know, anticipating what we're going to do physically, but also hearing the words connected with that. So absorbing the language at the same time. Yes. And that was something um, that I found initially difficult to do when I uh, first became a parent myself, being an introvert. I found it somewhat challenging to speak to my baby from the very beginning. But once I did, it certainly became second nature. And what was very sweet is that when my daughter was about two, I caught her talking to her stuffed animals in the same way that I um, talked to her. And then eventually when her sister was born, she would speak to her in the same way that I would speak to her as a baby. And I thought that that was just such a lovely thing to see. For her, it just became second nature right away. I, I just have to say, I guess I'm an introvert as well, but everybody has a hard time talking to babies and believing that it matters because they don't talk back. Well, they do, but they do it in these very subtle ways that are hard for us to discern, especially at first. And they're learning how to communicate. So they're learning how to show us different signs with different sounds that they make that may all sound like crying, but there's a very different tone to them or a different pattern to them. And they don't know how to do that in the beginning either. So we're trying to learn from them and they're trying to learn how to teach us. But it does take this leap of faith. But it sounds like you sort of took the leap of faith before you did the research. That's what it takes because we're not going to see the proof of our baby's awareness until we try these things. Not just once, but regularly, predictably, so our baby learns them. It's an interesting process. It, it definitely takes more than just studies even, because I feel like all of these studies in the past decades that have validated the work that Magda and Pickler did through lots and lots of hours of observation of babies behaving naturally. But even with all of this research that's been done that supports this, it's like we're not getting the implications of it yet. As a society, we, we may have heard about these studies. Oh, babies are learning language. They're really aware. They're really capable. But what does that mean? We're, we still want to toss them around and pass them around and, and not speak to them. And it's really hard. It's hard when they're not proving it, but they can't prove it until we take the leap of faith. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. I think most people now have heard about the idea of attachment and how our sensitive responses help us bond with our babies. But there is a one aspect of attachment and something that really helps secure attachment that is, I would say, a little bit less well-known. And it's this idea of mind-mindedness. In the scientific literature, it's described as a way of seeing babies as people with minds of their own. So not just as bundles of joy and, and cute little, little things, but as people with their minds open to the world. 
And so parents who are mind-minded, even though they may not call themselves that, but they might be practicing this intuitively, they tend to be more insightful and they want to learn about what might their baby be thinking or feeling in the moment. And of course, we never know for sure because the only person who really knows is the baby, but we can try to see the world from the baby's perspective. And that allows us to adjust how we are with them based on what they are doing, what they're working on, and what they might be thinking about, as opposed to what we want, or some preconceived notions we have, or some general ideas of what a baby of that age should be doing. And that's very hard to discern, by the way. Again, because the baby's not speaking clearly to us about what they are thinking or need or want. The inclination to project, I, I've never met a parent that didn't have it. I mean, I certainly do. So this idea of opening up to, oh, but this person is totally separate and they have their own point of view that's totally different from mine. And, you know, what is that about? And it's like this constant question that we have to keep asking so that we stay open to it. But yeah, I mean, that sounds great when you're saying it, but I just want to add how hard that is. Yeah, I, I certainly found it challenging myself. And it even comes comes down to simple things like if I'm cold, does that mean the baby's cold? Or if, you know, if I'm enjoying a gathering, but the baby might be getting overwhelmed and things like that. And so it's not relying on how I feel in the situation and, and thinking about, well, how is my child experiencing this being their own little person, like you said. And so I think this really underscores the value of seeing babies right from the start as unique human beings, and also the value of sensitive observation, as Magda taught us and as you have been teaching us, which really allows us to get to know and understand our babies. And that's her sixth Rye principle, by the way sensitive observation of the child in order to understand his or her needs. So where did this term first come from, mind-mindedness? I had never heard it until I read your book. I believe it was Elizabeth Maines who coined this term. She has a number of uh, papers looking at how mind-minded parents are with their babies and what impacts that this approach has on attachment security. Some of her work, for example, found that Babies whose parents are mind-minded or who grow up in mind-minded environments, they tend to have a, a stronger physiological capacity to regulate their emotions. So it's a little bit easier for them to stay calm or to return to a calm state. And they also tend to develop stronger bonds with their parents. And then it's a little easier for them to recognize and understand emotions and needs of others around them as they grow. Which is the theory of mind. That was one of Alison Gopnik's terms that she used, theory of mind, the way that babies can be like little psychologists sensing our moods and our thoughts and our, our feelings right from the start as well. I think what you're speaking to seems like the power of that to help a child be uh, more able to self-regulate and, you know, to thrive in the relationship and how it promotes attachment and bonding. I feel like that really speaks to the power of feeling seen, which is something that we all 
we all need, we want that in the world, in life, that there's at least one person that really gets us. And definitely in our relationships, closeness is all about feeling listened to and seen as a separate person. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree. What I found interesting from, from this research, but also from my own experience and from reading your wonderful work, is how we can become more in tune and develop that mind-mindedness and mind-minded mindset through sensitive observation and through slowing down. That is something that I have found so incredibly helpful on my own parenting journey, is that permission to just observe my babies without the need to jump in, seeing the incredible value that there is in just being with them. I believe Magda called it the once nothing time. That was something that I found very freeing and very helpful personally. And something that I also learned through reading the research is that my mindedness and sensitive observation also helps us nurture our intuition. Sometimes intuitive knowledge, that gut feeling we might get in thinking like something is wrong or something is right, um, is sort of the opposite of science. And we start thinking, should I trust my gut or should I trust expert knowledge and advice? But what science shows is that we actually do best when we do both because our intuition is a form of knowledge. It's sort of our brain's way of immediately, within split seconds really, accessing the memories that we store within us and using those in that I just know kind of way. But even though it's subconscious and automatic and it doesn't require the sort of analytic reasoning or comparing options, it's still a very real form of knowledge. Because it's based on something that no research can give us, which is our experience and what we sense coming from this unique individual, our baby. Exactly. So when it comes to our babies, the, the best source that our intuition can draw from is our observations of our unique child that we accumulate day by day by being with them and, and getting to know them better and better. That's something that we cannot ever read in a book or learn from, from scientific papers. It's something that we learn by being with them and nurturing our intuition. That's a very powerful thing. But sometimes what we think of as intuitive knowledge could be coming from another place. The intuition could also draw from maybe fears that we've been storing in our memories, uh, maybe some biases we might have. And so what is really interesting and helpful, I think, is that science has found that deliberately considering evidence-based knowledge and accessing our intuition at the same time is possible and that our brains can combine both even when we're not fully aware of the source of intuition. And so considering that the science, the evidence-based knowledge can help us filter out the irrelevant pieces that are maybe, you know, our fears, maybe some old disproven psychology that maybe some memories that no longer serve us and then use our observations of our unique babies wisely and hear our truly intuitive and unique knowledge that we have. 
I love that. That's cool. I want to, though, ask you, as the parent of three children, and I have three children as well, I don't know, I'm just imagining myself listening to this podcast and saying to myself, well, I have a busy life with three kids and or two other children. Now I have this baby. How am I going to sit around, you know, blissfully observing and connecting with my intuition and doing all these things that sound very slow and lovely? And I mean, how do you do it? Oh, I know. I think that's that's such a good question. And, and um, it's so hard. And I, I would say it's it's hard to have that slow kind of once nothing time, even with that first, because it's just something that we maybe not as used to. With my first, I wanted to do the best I could. There was always some sort of, you know, just some worries running through my mind and well, how can I do best and, and things like that. So eventually I learned to let go of some of that and just have slow play time, just watching my baby play. And then, you know, when my second and then third babies came along, it's certainly so much busier, so much more challenging. And my third baby was born at the early in the pandemic so that everybody was home. And it was certainly much harder to carve out that slow time and giving him the space. And I think one of the gifts was understanding how important that space and free movement and uninterrupted play was to his development and sort of setting aside the space where he could do that. And then also seeing the value of the family being together. Um, and also, we don't necessarily have to spend large amounts of time specifically thinking like, well, this will be the time when I will nurture my intuition. I think it comes organically through the day as we spend time with our babies, changing diapers, feeding. It comes in these little tiny, tiny glimpses sometimes, tiny snippets, but they accumulate over time into this very unique knowledge. Yes, I feel like in my experience, I was just realizing well, I was all over the place with my first baby anyway. I didn't know any of this stuff. But then with the second and third, realizing that your baby's getting this whole different experience growing up as a sibling that's so valuable and incredible, right? And you just take your moment when you can. No pressure. You take those moments and you also take advantage of the caregiving routines because there'll be plenty of days where that was the only time that you connected one-on-one with your baby when you have other obligations and children or, or anything, you take advantage of that. And there are moments there where you're observing, you're trying to slow down to be present in that moment. Maybe you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding and your baby's stopping to look around and you're noticing how they're enjoying a, a view of something that's in the room. You know, you're giving them that time and maybe those times are the only observation times. And that's beneficial as well for you. You know, any time that you have is going to add up. And it's really about our openness to the idea that our baby has a perspective that's totally unique. And we're just generally trying to be aware of that because we realize our baby's a person and all these things that science has shown for a long time, but it just not quite gotten into the culture yet. It's so interesting to me. Most of us think a lot about our family's future. That's part of the job, right? And I'm sure you've heard that annoying piece of advice that says, don't buy that latte, invest instead. 
Well, we went for it a couple of years ago and opened a Robinhood account. To be honest, my husband wanted to cut down on coffee anyway. But you know what? Whatever your goals are, Robinhood could help your family build a better financial future. Investing a small amount now could make a big difference 30 years down the road. It's nice to be in the driver's seat and have autonomy when making investments, which is easy to do with Robinhood. Download the Robinhood app or visit Robinhood.com to start building a better financial future. That's Robinhood.com or download the app now to learn more. Of course, investing involves risk and loss of principal is possible. Returns are not guaranteed. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker-dealer. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. So also I was thinking when I was asking you that question and you were answering it beautifully, I was thinking about just this moment when your baby is maybe waking up from a nap or in the morning And you sort of come close because you've heard them make a sound, maybe. You come closer, but instead of just coming right in, let me pick you up. You wait until they look towards you because they're, they're sensing that you're close. They're so aware and sensitive. And maybe they're involved in something. Just not rushing that. And there's often moments there where you catch a glimpse of what your babies could be thinking or interested in. Oh, that was such a lovely description. And it just brings me right back into those stages. I can remember that so well when they wake up and then if I enter the room and then maybe they don't see me for a moment. And so it gives me that sense of, okay, like, okay, maybe they're looking at their hands or looking at the ceiling. And then when they see you, right, then they just light up. It's a really, really wonderful memory. Yes, for me too. So what were some of the other surprising things that you discovered in your research? One of the surprising things was just how connected everything is in the baby's life. Like, for example, the connection between sleep and learning is something that I think not everybody knows. We all do know that sleep brings physical rest for adults and babies alike, But for babies in particular, sleep is also important for learning because when they sleep, they sort and consolidate the memories of events and people and experiences that they've had when they were awake. So the well-rested baby is more likely to notice new things. And then when they go to sleep, they remember, they remember that experience better. And I quite like the analogy of a baby's brain being like a librarian who only gets a chance to sort of carefully sort and organize the books and the materials in his care after all the patrons um, go home and the library closes for the day. And that's their time to sort of really get organized. Yes, but how do we get a well-rested baby? That's the thing parents are going to worry about listening to this because I know everybody worries, my child's not getting enough sleep. And then, of course, our worry makes it harder for people next to us that are absorbing our moods and feelings to 
feel calm and like going to sleep. So it's a tough one. And that could be a whole other conversation that you and I have, I know. But Magda always said, you can't make another person fall asleep. And what can we do? We can create the environment, which of course is what your book is all about, creating the right environment or creating an ideal environment, let's say, for nurturing our babies. But what does that mean in regard to sleep? Yeah, so exactly. So the way I've looked at things in my book, and I explored the question of how can we create those sort of most nurturing environments, uh, physical and emotional environments for sleep, and also for feeding and for care and play. For sleep in particular, it, it was exactly that. What I found is that similar to responsive feeding, our best role as parents and caregivers would be to create the most sleep conducive environments for, for our children. So that would be the physical spaces for sleep, but also a balanced daily rhythm that helps their bodies sort of relax and develop the circadian rhythm and then kind of relax into sleep when the time is right. So we can think about our role in sleep think about it as as working on the environment because of course we cannot make our baby sleep but we can provide the best conditions that we can again based on the science of sleep but also based on observing our own unique babies and their unique needs for sleep and rest there's even details right like i don't know if this is uh, yeah there is science because i remember reading it a long time ago when i was writing a post on this how the free movement aspects of Magda's approach that she recommends, especially outdoors whenever possible, that the baby is in a position, usually on their backs, to be as free as possible to move their limbs, move their trunks, move their heads. And that that, just like with us, when we get exercise, that helps a baby to sleep rather than being in a container the whole day. Absolutely. So they, they get to that place where they're um, physically tired in a good way. And also they've had experiences exploring and experimenting with what they can and cannot do when they've been able to move freely. And that helps them get to that place where they're tired just the right amount, not not perhaps too tired, but full of experiences that then, then they're ready to physically rest and and then integrate those experiences into memory. And certainly free movement and being outdoors and the natural light, uh, those are very, very helpful things for sleep. And did you look up any research on certain methods for instantly calming a baby? Like there's an expert that talks about it. There's this calming reflex and you have to do all this type of stimulation to put your baby into that. Is that healthy sleep or is that uh, a baby kind of cocooning or shutting down to escape the stimulation? Yeah, there is uh, several papers that I've read talk about how sometimes young babies and even older babies might use sleep as an escape because that might be their only way to escape a really overstimulating environment. The only other way for them to voice their discomfort with the environment would be to cry. But sleep sometimes might be their way of sort of escaping from this environment where they go like, I just can't take this anymore. And so what sometimes happens is with very young babies, 
um, especially if it's our first, sometimes we want to maintain that sort of on the go lifestyle because it feels, it feels good. It feels like, okay, we have an easy baby. So maybe we can just be out and about just as we were before. And it might seem like the baby is sleeping great in their car seat or maybe in the stroller. And it might work for some babies or for some babies for a certain amount of time. But if it happens too much, it, for, for some babies, it could lead to them being overstimulated and tired because they really couldn't quite meet their sleep needs, especially if they're moved from one device to another throughout the day. So is there actually science on that, that the quality of sleep that they're getting is not as good or not as restorative? Or is there not science? And we're kind of guessing or wondering. I try to um, find studies that look at the quality of sleep in motion sleep environment versus stationary sleep environment, like in the crib versus maybe in the stroller or on the parent. And I actually couldn't find any studies that empirically measured sleep quality, but they were studies that noted that aspect that a baby might escape into sleep and sleep for a shorter period of time because perhaps the sleep rhythms were not quite aligned at the time. So it wasn't maybe the the right time for them to have that rest. And so they might have a little cat nap just to calm themselves down, but it wouldn't be as restful and restorative. That makes sense. So overall, it seems that you mostly found science that supports a lot of the things that Magda taught and Pickler taught were there things you found that that didn't really jive with it or that were counter to those practices? You know, I find that all or most parenting philosophies or approaches, they often are thought of as an approach plus a set of techniques, so sort of very specific ways of doing something. And then when I looked into science, there usually is more than one good way of doing things. There's a, a range of good and quite often a, a wide range of good options. And so I, I sometimes I see Rai misunderstood and misrepresented as just a set of techniques and sometimes very specific don'ts and maybe nevers like never carry baby in the carrier or, you know, never use the high chair or never breastfeed for comfort, things like that. And so I haven't found scientific support for the the very strict don'ts and the nevers. But that isn't what it's about That's all. exactly because there is strong research to support the benefits of free movement and sensitive caregiving and free exploration. And there are many ways to create those environments. And and rise to me, if I understand it correctly, it's not at all about the techniques or the don'ts. It's the way to think about children and to see them. And that's what's really beautiful about it. And even in the principles, the seven principles, it's not about do this. It's presented as make time for this, you know, time for uninterrupted play. Because at the time that Pickler started observing babies behaving naturally, free to move, and, you know, saw how they develop their motor skills naturally, the way that animals do, you know, without being positioned or propped and, and all of these things. The whole point was that wasn't happening in that time. And I think still being in containers, is a fact of life for a lot of babies for most of their day, and they get used to that, you know, they like what they know, right? So 
what Magda said and Pickler before her said was make time for this too. Make time for trusting your baby. Make time for an environment that's physically safe, cognitively challenging, and emotionally nurturing. Make time for uninterrupted play. Make time to involve the child in a person-to-person relationship with you when they're being cared for. So it's with them, not to them. Make time for sensitive observation whenever you can. Make time, you know, for consistency. So it's it's uh, it's just like an opening up to see ways that weren't normally thought of in those days and still probably aren't typically considered as part of baby care. I love that. I love the the make time. This is a beautiful way of saying it. And I think it goes back to what we talked about a little earlier about how sometimes it's challenging with a bigger family and our busy lives and working parents, but not putting it onto ourselves as as this immense pressure, but thinking about it as like, this is what we can do to create that environment and make time for all those good things that really help babies be who they are and learn and grow. Yes. And by doing so, opening ourselves up to this gift that babies have to offer us, this gift of rediscovering what we had when we were babies or when we were children, which is what matters is I saw a leaf that was flowing in that breeze and What matters is the clouds had an amazing formation or the smell of my mother's shampoo is incredible. You know, slowing down ourselves, our own life to enjoy life more, enjoy our baby more. Absolutely. It's like we grow and relearn right alongside them in a sense. Yes. And I think like, especially today with all the, you know, I'm on my phone all the time. I mean, looking and, you know, not just standing in line. I'm always doing something or... I mean, it's it's even more challenging, but maybe even more of a gift to take those moments. It's just moments where all I'm going to do is be with my baby in this diapering experience right now. Even if it doesn't work well and they're crying and they don't like this or that, I'm just going to have an honest time together and just do this. It does nurture us. It nurtures the real joy that we have in us, I think. Yeah, I agree. It does. Well, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for all this information. And I feel like we could have probably have a a new discussion on each of these topics. There's so many juicy ones here. Um, but thank you so much, Anya. And what are you working on these days? So um, I guess in the year or so since my book, Baby Ecology, has been published, I've had opportunities to dive a little bit deeper into some of the topics and Because putting the book together felt a little bit like putting together a big puzzle, connecting all these pieces of knowledge from different different studies and seeing that puzzle sort of put together, it just made me see the wide range of good options for sleep, care, feeding, and play. And so I call that the optimal nurturing environment or the one for short, which is not at all prescriptive. But it's a range of these good options from which uh, parents can choose what works best for their babies and their families. And they can choose what reflects their cultural backgrounds and then just honors their specific family situation. And so over the past year, I've spent some time diving deeper into some of the what I call the 10 elements of the one, the optimal nurturing environment. 
For example, I looked into small pieces, but important pieces like choosing and transitioning into daycare, and then into applying that whole concept of the one, the nurturing environment to daycare settings. And then I'm also always working on spreading the word about all the research that went into baby ecology through my website, kidecology.com. And I love hearing from readers, um, answering questions, or just when people share their thoughts on any of the research that went into the book. Sounds great. Well, thank you again. And uh, enjoy those three children. How old are they now? I've got a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a just-turned-3-year-old. So life's been busy. And it stays busy, but it's sure fun and surprising to discover what, what new things you're going to learn about your child as they grow and all the surprises. I love it. All right. Talk to you again, I hope. And thank you again. And thank you for all your work and for the honor of being your guest today. It's, it's been wonderful. Thank you. You can connect with Anya and learn more on her website, kidecology.com. And be sure to check out her book, Baby Ecology. Also, please check out some of my other podcasts at janetlansbury.com. They're all indexed by subject and category, so you should be able to find whatever topic you're interested in. And I also have books on audio at audible.com, No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame, and Elevating Child Care, A Guide to Respectful Parenting. You can get them in paperback at Amazon and an ebook at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Apple.com. Thanks so much for listening. We can do this. If you like Unruffled, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.